1. Revelation chapter 1. I told you we're starting quick tonight. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, we're counting down, and I don't know what to. So, yeah, yeah, the rapture could happen in five minutes. Right. You really don't want to go out here on Wednesday night. Let's go get a burger or something like that. Um, Revelation chapter 1. Excited about this. Revelation is always a fun book. Uh, we finished up our study in 2 Thessalonians last week. And so 2 Thessalonians is all about the day of the Lord. And so this was a nice segue into Revelation as we get ready to talk about end times here. And actually on Sunday, uh, we just did 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is all about end times, latter days. So this kind of all came together to be a nice time to start the book of Revelation. Now, it's been a few years since we've gone through the book of Revelation. And as we go through the book of Revelation, believe it or not, we're actually going to try to go through this at a pretty quick pace. And this is why. Revelation has so much detail. I mean, it is just unbelievable the amount of detail in here. I heard a study one time that said if you really do an in-depth verse-by-verse study through Revelation, that you will literally get to nearly every book of the Bible because there's just so intertwined. And it's not that we're trying to stay away from in-depth. I love in-depth. You know that. But if you really want to get the feel of the book, you need to keep a decent pace going to be able to get the feel. So the goal is to try to do this in sections. Like We're going to do Revelation 1 tonight. Hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, we'll do Revelation 2 and 3 next week because that's a section on its own. And what I've noticed with the teaching through Revelation, if you do it in those type of sections, you get more out of it because you see the full picture of what God is trying to do. So with each week... We're going to try to have a sheet back there in the back for you. Some of you like sheets. You like to take notes. Feel free to grab it. Some of you don't. Feel free not to grab it. This sheet is kind of a generic one for this week because throughout the study of the book of Revelation, we're going to use these terms a lot, second coming and rapture. For a lot of people, they get those two terms confused, second coming versus rapture. So that's just a little bit of a cheat sheet on top of the differences between them. We're not going to get into that so much tonight. But just keep this for future reference. And on the bottom here is just a real quick outline. We're really not going to get into this until chapter 6. Just keep this because we will make reference to this numerous times here, especially when we get to chapter 6, when we get into the study of what the actual tribulation is. So with that being said, book of Revelation. This is where it gets interesting. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation literally means unveiling. In the actual original Greek, it carries the picture of a statue almost. Imagine this, the statue being covered in a drape, and then they whip that cover off real quick, and you are unveiled. The statue is there. It's not a slow process. It's not giving you little teases and hints, but it's something where it immediately just appears. And this revelation of Jesus Christ is that. It's the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Can you, Dustin, go ahead and put the first slide up there that we were going to talk about here tonight? Because when it comes to talking about Jesus, we get this mindset and we get this picture a lot of what Jesus is. Now, this is what we usually think of with Christ. Now, normally he's wearing white with a blue slash. I don't know if he changed to yellow or what. But he's always hanging out in the meadow and he always has a lamb. That's how the Gospels present Jesus. And that's what a lot of us think of Christ, which is obviously a very nice picture of Jesus. Well, the book of Revelation reveals the full picture of Jesus. Please go to the next slide. This is Revelation Jesus. He's coming back to fight. Now, those pictures seem a little, well, that doesn't make sense. In the one picture, we got him with the classic lamb over the shoulders walking around. and this one, he's coming back as the conquering king. This is how Revelation reveals Christ. It gives us the full picture of who Jesus is, which takes us to the next slide here real quick. This is John MacArthur. Great, great quote by John MacArthur. It says, Jesus came the first time in humiliation. He will return in exaltation. Revelation. He came the first time to serve the Gospels. He will return to be served. 
Revelation. He came the first time as the suffering servant, the Gospels. He will return as the conquering king, Revelation. And that's kind of a neat picture there, and that's what this unveiling is of Christ, is you get the full picture of who Jesus is here in the book of Revelation. You see him as the conquering king, but you also do see him as the suffering Messiah, and the full picture is revealed as we go through these 22 chapters in Revelation. With that being said, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep these things which are written in it, for the time is near. Revelation, the revealing of who Jesus is. Now the purpose and the reason that we're going to spend some time studying this is because this is supposed to be something that therefore cleanses us. I didn't really pick a key verse here out of the book of Revelation because Revelation is just a tough book to find a key verse. But if there is a passage that is supposed to be in the back of our minds, if you're taking notes, write down this passage. It's 2 Peter 3, verse 14. 2 Peter 3, 14. It says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. I like that. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. The reason we study this out is to remind us that Christ is returning. And we've talked about this the last few weeks. If Jesus is returning, this should spur us on to live the life that we should live. I heard a great teaching this week where the pastor said, imagine you knew that Jesus Christ was coming back on Friday. He goes, what type of life would you live until then? What type of things would you give up until then? What type of things would you abstain from knowing that Christ is returning in two short days? And he said, if those things are that bad now, why aren't you doing it right this second? Why do we wait till we think he's going to return before we make those changes that need to be changed? If we think he's returning and we believe he's returning, these things should spur us on to be diligent to make the changes that need to be changed. And that's the purpose of the book of Revelation. It's kind of interesting. In the New Testament, the first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, are all historical books. Well, then you have a step of 21 books, which are theology. And then you have Revelation. Revelation is the only book of prophecy in the entire New Testament. And it kind of just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the New Testament. You have those Gospels and Acts, and you have all these theology books. And Revelation is just kind of like the kid at the end. But it's such a vital book. It's the bookend of the New Testament. Now think about that. God, when he decided to end the Bible, he ended with this book. This is how it all ends. This is how it all comes together. And so how does this work? If you look in verse 1, God gave this revelation to Jesus, who then gave the revelation to one of his angels, who then gave the revelation to John. Did you catch that in verse 1? That's how it worked. God the Father gave it to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, who then gave it to John, who then John is now giving it to us. That's how it came to us. That angel there, kind of interesting point here. Angels are vital in the book of Revelation. In fact, angel is mentioned 72 times in this book. 72 times in 22 short chapters. The most references to angels in the entire Bible. In fact, second place is the book of Luke that only has 24 references. 72 references to angels in this book. And as you get to the end times here, you'll see the role that this book plays. So often we have a very skewed um, picture of what angels are. A lot of times when you go into the uh, checkout line at the uh, grocery store, you see calendars with angels and these fat little babies holding bows and arrows or something like that. Trust me, that's not what an angel's like in any way whatsoever. By going through this book, not only will Jesus be revealed on who he is, but you'll get a deeper understanding of the heavenly realm of what's going on here. This is a fascinating book, guys. You'll be blessed by it. So, and it's this stuff, if you look in verse 1, things which must shortly take place. 
That word shortly is a really interesting word. And, and I usually don't throw out the original Greek too much, but I have to throw this word out because this word shortly in the original Greek is tacos. Now, would anybody like to take a shot what English word we get out of the word tacos? Any car people here? Tachometer. We get our English word tachometer from this Greek phrase, shortly take place. And what's a tachometer do in a car? Right? It follows the RPMs, doesn't it, Marcus? Right? I have no idea. I don't have a tachometer in my car. So, so it follows the RPMs, which RPM is how fast the engine is going, correct? Thank you. Okay, just making sure. Not that we're good at this stuff. So when it says shortly take place, that is that English word tachometer, which is basically saying the engine's revving. So when it says shortly, it's not really meaning in the sense of time, like this stuff is going to happen quickly. It means when this whole process starts, it goes fast. I mean, this whole book, once you get into the tribulation period, you're, you're covering a span of seven years. It, it, it happens quickly. And that's what that word, that tachometer is. This thing is going to flow, and it's going to move awfully quick. So God the Father gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to one of his angels. Angels gave it to John. John then gave it to us. Key thing here, though, is verse 3, you're blessed by doing this. A lot of you may have come out of a church where Revelation was just a book you never talked about, you never got into. I never understood that. This is one of the books that promises a blessing. In fact, this blessing is repeated in chapter 22. So in the first chapter, it tells me I'm blessed if I read it. In the last chapter, it tells me I'm blessed if I read it. So why would I not be reading this book and studying it? Let's just be honest. I want to learn more about Jesus, but let's be also blessed. You're going to be blessed by reading this because this book is the book that reveals and brings it all together of who Jesus is and what his role and mission is. Yes, he came down as the suffering Messiah to die on the cross for our sins, but he also is returning as the glorious king to reclaim the earth. And this is the full revelation of who Jesus is and we are blessed as we go through this. So that's our brief introduction here to chapter 1. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about what we've covered thus far? Because it's important to get that groundwork laid before we get into the rest of chapter 1 here. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I know, thanks. Yeah, yeah you're a sinner too. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when James types up the slide and not Nancy typing up the slide. I just want to let you know. That slide took me three hours to type up, so please don't mock it. And his spell check didn't catch it because it's a real word. Thank you. Anybody else want to pick on me? Yeah, yeah, shut up. So, anybody have a real question, comment? Okay, then let's, let's talk about Jesus here for a little bit. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is, is to come, the Almighty. Here's the problem with the book of Revelation. There's a lot of symbolism in this book, and so sometimes we get a little overwhelmed by these phrases and stuff. So the best thing to do is just take it simple here. This book, John's writing it, verse 4, we've already established that. He's going to make seven copies of this, and he's going to give it to the seven churches which are in the area of Asia. It's actually Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And those seven churches are mentioned in chapters 2 and 3. So there's a practical thing there. He's writing this book, and it's going to be spread around to the seven churches. So he's got the basic stuff here, grace to you and peace. We talk about that a lot. But look at these phrases. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. If you're taking notes, write this down. Isaiah 11, verse 2. 
Isaiah 11, verse 2. That is the reference to what the seven spirits are before the throne of God. And that seven spirits. Some of you may have heard that phrase, the sevenfold ministry, spirit ministry. Those seven spirits, it says in Isaiah chapter 11, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, referring to Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You count all those up in verse 2? There's seven of them. Seven in the Bible and numerology shows completion, shows a completed thing. So therefore the seven spirits before the throne shows the complete ministry of God. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and might, knowledge and fear. That shows a completion there. So Jesus was the complete being here, the full ministry of what God has to say. So that's the reference there to the seven spirits in verse 4. Now that next phrase there, verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now some of you are quick to your mind. You may say Jesus was not the firstborn from the dead. He wasn't. There was people that were raised from the dead before Christ. That word firstborn does not mean first in time. It means first in preeminence. So it means he is the most important person raised from the dead. He was the firstborn, the first preeminence. We have a, a, a similar thing here today. The first lady of the United States is Michelle Obama. Now She's not the first first lady. Martha Washington was the first lady. But yet it's still a phrase of respect that is used towards that position. Firstborn from the dead means that Jesus is the firstborn, the preeminent person that rose from the dead. And it's repeated numerous times in the book of Revelation. Not only is he risen from the dead, but he's still alive. And his mission was pretty straightforward. Look at verse 5. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now here's something you're going to hear me repeated probably every week in the book of Revelation. This book is a book of judgment. You really can't get around that. Literally, as we go through this book, and we get to the hard stuff here in chapter 6 on, and the bold judgments, the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments, literally billions of people, it look like, are going to be judged. But always in the midst of judgment, what is there? There's always grace. Always grace. You're going to have a passage about, about people being judged, but then there's going to be a follow-up passage of an angel proclaiming the gospel. So as we talk about Jesus coming back to judge, but what do we also have here in verse 5? He washed us from our sins in his own blood. See, don't ever forget that. Yes, he's coming back to conquer. Yes, he's coming back as the conquering king, but he saved us. And so since he saved us, verse 6, we're now kings and priests. Now, we don't think about this too much, do we? If you're taking notes, write it down. 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9. It says that we are a royal priesthood. Isn't that amazing? If you are born again and saved here tonight, if the rapture would happen right now, during the millennial reign of Christ, we get to rule and reign with him. Not because of anything we've done, it's because of verse 5. See, if you skip verse 5 and we look at, oh, he's made us kings and priests, well, I've done something good. No, you haven't. You haven't done anything. The only reason I get to reign with Christ is because he's washed me from my sins in his own blood. And that's the blessing of knowing Christ is we get to rule and reign with him. And we're going to get to that in Revelation uh, chapter 20 when we talk about the millennial reign of Christ where Jesus literally rules and reigns for a thousand years on this earth. We as the church, the body of Christ, we get that privilege and honor of ruling and reigning beside him. Why? Because we've been washed in the blood of Christ and then God has elevated us not because of what we have done but because what he has done. That's an important point to note. Nothing we've done is what he's done. Verse 7, he's coming back on the clouds. You ever notice that? How um, just cool, I'm a cloud guy. 
I love, I love clouds. I could stop and look at clouds all the time, and we'll be driving along. I say, look, boys, there's fair weather cumulus. I don't know. My dad grew up with the weather stuff. I said, I've always enjoyed it. The clouds are a fascinating thing. When those huge thunderstorms are building up, and you watch those clouds build up. Fasting. Uh, you know, I loved it tonight. Great worship here tonight. Great song selection. And when you, we sang the song, uh, Days of Elijah there, you know, coming in the clouds. This is something that God has used from Old Testament to New Testament. You know, back in the Old Testament with Moses, you had the cloud leading Israel. When they dedicated the tabernacle in the temple, you had the cloud there. In the book of Acts, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended into the clouds. I think there's just something fascinating to us about clouds. And so there's this whole cool thing here in verse 7 of he's coming with the clouds. Real quick story, you already know I'm a dork, so it doesn't bother me at all. I was out mowing this last summer, and I was listening to my music, and I had a, a version of Days of Elijah on, and I was listening to it, and then I stopped mowing, and it, it was just a beautiful sunny day. The clouds were out. I stopped, and I'm just looking up at the, the, the sun, I mean the clouds there, and enjoying it, just kind of worshiping the Lord. And I look over at dawn, and all boys were just staring at me through the window. And so then I got done, and I went inside, and Dawn said, what were you doing? I said, I was listening to Days of Elijah. I'm looking at the clouds. It's just really cool. She goes, you look like a dork out there just sitting in the... So just a little picture into the marriage of Dawn and I. Um, the clouds are fasting. They, they, they just, it's neat to look at. That's how Jesus is returning. It's just that amazing blessing. And I tell you right now, you're going to notice the clouds from here on out. It's just a cool thing that what God does. Verse 8, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, who is and who was and who is to come. I love that phrase. Who is and who was and who is to come. He's got it all covered. Past, present, and future. You know, when, when, when Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, I am. Have you ever tried to figure out what that means? I am. It means I am. I'm, it literally means I'm the becoming one. I'm everything. And it was also there in verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. God is the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future. He's everything. And so when he's the Alpha and the Omega, it means he's the beginning and the end. I've shared with you before with this, so bear with me here. I have this little thing. I don't like to watch movies unless I know how the movie ends. So any movie I see, I will get online and find out what the ending of the movie is. If the ending of the movie is not something I want to see, I'm not going to waste two hours of my time to watch something that's going to depress me or make me sad. I want to know the end. So if I like the end and I know the end, I will then go watch the movie. doesn't ruin it for me. I like it right here that God says I'm the beginning and the end. I know how the story ends. So I don't have to worry in the middle of my life because I know how it ends. And I like that. I like it that he's the bookends in my life and he's the beginning and the end who is, is, was, and is to come, God of the past, present, and future. And so therefore, since I know that I know the end, I don't have anything to worry about with this. Nothing in any way whatsoever. What a blessing that is. What a wonderful blessing that is. Let's move on here real quick. Verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Real quick, uh, Dustin, can you put that next slide up there real quick here? Can you put the next slide up real quick? Real quick right here, just a quick map for those that are kind of like to know. Patmos there, it's circled. Patmos is off the island, excuse me, off uh, the nation of Turkey. It's actually considered part of the nation of Greece. Greece is there to the left, island of Crete down to the south. Turkey right over there, just to give you a little bit of an idea. Patmos was not a tropical fun island. It actually was a volcanic island. It's very small. I think they said it's like 10 miles by 6 miles. It's rocky. It's not a place. John was sent there as a punishment. So this was not John just hanging out on the beach one day and the Lord spoke to him. Now I bring this up and we're running short on time because so often when we're thrown into a difficult place in life, the first thing we want to do is flee. 
One of the things we always do when we get put into a wilderness time or we've been uh, banished to a rocky island and we say, Lord, where are you? God says, I'm right here and I want you here because when I strip everything away from you, I can finally speak to you. John, being on the island of Patmos, had nothing to distract him. He was banished there by the Roman Empire. So this is where God said, now I want to speak to you. I'm just telling you, I know this in my life and I've seen it in other people's life. Sometimes in your darkest times spiritually is where the Lord speaks to you. Don't run from the wilderness. Don't run from the rocky islands. Allow the Lord to speak to you in the dark times. When you're going through a difficult time, usually the first thing we pray is, Lord, stop. Stop this. God may say, this is how I'm going to speak to you. So just remember that. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So he hears this and he's going to write this down. Real quick side note, and I've shared this with you before, but I just want to reiterate this to you. If you have in your Bible there where it says in verse 11, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, Write down Isaiah 44.6, Isaiah 44.6, because this is important, and, and this works real well. Is There, there are certain uh, religious groups around that do not claim that Jesus is God, and you've heard me talk about this before. And so they believe that Jesus is the first created being. Jehovah Witnesses believe that. They believe that Jesus was the first created being. He's not God. He's the first created being. Well, this is a fascinating little thing. This is Jesus speaking, saying, I'm the first and the last. Well, if you go to Isaiah 44, 6, that same phrase is repeated. God the Father says, I'm the first and the last. And this works because I've done it before. As you take somebody like that and you take them to the book of Isaiah and you show them that passage in Isaiah and say, okay, who's speaking here? Well, it's God. I'm the first and last, the Alpha and Omega. In fact, it says in that passage, there's no other God beside me. Well, then you take him to the book of Revelation. And you say, well, then how can Jesus claim to say the same thing? Because Jesus is claiming equality with God. It's important to know these scriptures and to know these points. And you may wonder, well, why in the world would God repeat himself? Didn't he say just right there in verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? Well, why would he say it again in verse 11? I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Well, why would he keep repeating himself? He's repeating himself because he wants that point to be made. He's claiming equality with God. So if Jesus doesn't have a problem claiming equality with God, if the scriptures in the book of Isaiah and the book of Revelation show Jesus as having an equality with God, I don't know why it's up for debate. So just keep that in the back of your mind. So this book is being written, going to be passed out to the seven churches here. Verse 12, And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Now, that, 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 that verse is vital. That verse is vital because... John heard the Lord speak, and so what did he do? He turned to the voice. Here's a quick application point. If God's speaking, are you listening? This whole book could have been different. What would happen if John never turned? I don't know if we'd have a book of Revelation. I guess God would have to reveal it to somebody else. John heard the voice, so he turned to the voice. It says in Matthew chapter 13, He was ears to hear, let him hear. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. If the Lord is trying to speak to you, I encourage you in verse 12, Turn to the voice. Too often in times of life, the Lord is trying to speak to us through the worship or His Word or through ministry or a message. And we, in, we hear the voice of the Lord trying to speak to us, and instead of turning to the voice, we run from it. We pull a Jonah. John saw that the Lord was trying to speak to him, so John turned, and once he turned to the Lord, the Lord revealed what he had for him. Right now, if you're in a spot of life, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know up from down. I don't know where the God's leading me. I don't know what my plan is. I don't know what my future is. I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to be doing. When the Lord speaks to you, turn to the voice and he'll reveal it to you. That takes an effort on our part. John turned to the voice and he listened to what God had to say. 
And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, verse 12, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brasses, as refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Once again, Jesus is repeating that to make a point. He's not repetitious to be repetitious. Three times in this chapter, he's trying to tell us that he's equal with God. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have for the keys of Hades and death. Now, this is the description given here of Christ. And the answer is already given to us what it is. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So that's pretty simple straightforward. So verse 12, the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. That's the purpose of the church. It's to be a lampstand. It's to shine for the Lord. If the church is not shining for Jesus Christ, what is the purpose of the church? The church is not a country club for everybody to get together and pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, we're doing good. The purpose of the church is to shine, to go out there and be a light and a witness to non-believers. So hence, the reference to the lampstands. So the lampstands, our purpose as a church is to shine. And look who's in the middle of the lampstands, verse 13, the Son of Man. Jesus is supposed to be in the center of the church. The church is not supposed to be built on a man or to be built on a ministry. The purpose of the church is to be built on Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus is in the middle of the lampstands, because the purpose of the church is Christ. In fact, we're going to get into this next week. When a church loses its focus on Jesus, the Bible says that God comes and removes their lampstand. He says, you're not any of use to me anymore. The purpose of you being here is to shine for me, and if you're not going to shine for me, I'm removing your lampstand. Maybe you came out of a dead church. Maybe you've been involved in a dead church. I don't know. When the church loses that emphasis of shining for Christ and, and preaching the gospel to people that are lost, Jesus says, I'm no longer in this. We're here to spread the gospel of Christ. And so Jesus is in the middle of it. Look at his description here real quick, and we're going to go through this. This is pretty straightforward. He's clothed with a garment down to his feet with a golden band. Gold usually represents majesty in the Bible. He is the king of kings. And the garment down to his feet, if you go back out and study the Old Testament, that's what the priests used to wear, is the garments down to their feet. You know, the Bible says that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. Here you see him in that priestly role of making the sacrifice for our sins. He is the sacrifice for our sins. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. Now, a couple different ideas there. Daniel 7, verse 9, Daniel 7, verse 9 refers to the Ancient of Days as God and uses the same description with this mindset of God is, is everlasting. I don't want to use the word old because that's a bad term, but you see that idea. I also like the idea here as the head and hair white like wool, white as snow, shows salvation and redemption, white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire, piercing eyes, fiery eyes. Here I say eyes of judgment that can look into the soul and see where that person is, whether they're saved or not, which goes with the next one. His feet were like fine brass. Brass in the Bible takes you back to that picture of the altar before the temple, an altar of judgment. Jesus in the book of Revelation, don't forget, he's come back, but he's already died on the cross for our sins. Here, what you have here is he's coming back in judgment. Verse 16, he had in his hand, right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth were a sharp two-edged sword. That sword represents the word of God. 
His countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. The sun shining strength represents majesty, the, the power of God, the brightness, the shining glory of God. The Bible refers to the word as a sword, so he's speaking the words of God. Well, John has a pretty good response. Verse 17, I fell down dead. That's exactly what I would do too. This is a little overwhelming. But look at Christ's response in verse 17. He laid his right hand on me. Reminds me of Peter. Peter sinking in the water while walking on the water. And Jesus reaches his hand out to grab him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We fall, we stumble, we mess up, we screw up, we sin. Jesus says, I love you. And he reaches his hand out to us to make all things right again. I absolutely love that. Jesus doesn't just yell at John, get up. He reaches his hand down. Isn't that a picture of salvation? Jesus didn't look at us and say, you know, you guys are just a bunch of sinners. Figure yourselves out. How are you supposed to get saved? You figure it out. He reached his hand out to us and died on the cross for our sins and helped us up. That's what he does. And so because of that, verse 18, he's the one that died for our sins. He has the keys of Hades and death, meaning he's the one that can unlock us from the death of sin. He's the one that can set us free. He's the one that holds judgment in his hand, the eternal judgment of heaven or hell. He's God. And then verse 19, write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Last slide here and then we're done. Dustin, can you put it up real quick? Really, this is the outline of the book of Revelation. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. Chapter 1 is the things that John has seen. That's what we just talked about. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are. Present day for John, the tr seven churches, which we'll get into next week. And chapters 4 through 22 are the things that will take place after this. Once again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. If you want an outline of the book of Revelation, it's found right there in verse 19. So next week we're going to do chapters 2 and 3. And then after that we'll get into chapters 4 and 22, which are the prophecy points. A lot of stuff. And I understand that there's a lot of stuff here. But it's a really neat symbolism and you want to get all these things at the same time. And so it's neat to see how this all comes together and what God has in store. And I tell you, just as it says there in verse 3, you're going to be blessed by this book. I highly encourage you. Each week we'll have a different sheet on the back to help you understand it. Each week we'll have some stuff up here on the PowerPoint to bring it all together. And uh, I hope you'll definitely be blessed by this. So it's a little after 8, and I have little kids looking at me through the window. So anybody have any quick uh, final questions, comments here about anything that we covered uh, before we go ahead and close up here with a word of prayer? Yeah, surely. No, and we're going to get into that a little bit more next week. That word angels can technically be translated um, messenger. And so a lot of people believe that word angels is a better picture of to the leaders, the messengers, the pastors. And it talks about them being seven stars. Another reference to that in the book of Daniel chapter 12, the Bible says that anybody who leads someone on the path of righteousness is like a star shining in heaven. So a lot of people believe that that actual reference to angels is better translated messengers and refers to the church leadership, that their job is to be a star pointing people towards Jesus Christ. Yeah. Aww. You, you, didn't, you didn't specify fallen or unfallen angel, so. Yeah, I'm the fat little chubby angel with the bow and arrow that you see. Thank you. I have no one has ever called me in the 12 years I've been out here an angel, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, anybody else have any final questions, comments here? Yeah, John. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is it even says without controversy. You know, in Philippians 2, it comes right out and says that Jesus is in the form of God. And he did not consider it robbery to be equal. Jesus called himself equal with God. It's without controversy to us as believers. <laughs> we, we know and understand. It's the non-believing world that likes to sit there and debate it. But to us as believers, there's not even a question about this. Jesus is God, and it's repeated numerous times. And once again, why did he three times in chapter 1 say I'm the first and the last? He's making his case. 
The revelation of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus is that he is God. There's no question about that. Any other stuff here before we go ahead and close up? Marcus. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And that's a good point. The lampstand can't give out light on its own. The lampstand just points out the light there, what Christ gave. And if you want to further study on that, check out Zechariah chapter 4, because Zechariah chapter 4 talks about the lampstands, and it talks about the oil that's in the lampstands that makes them shine, and that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit there. So just like Marcus was saying, is we can be a lampstand, but we have no way to shine on our own. The Bible says that we're the light of Christ. So the only way we can do this is if Jesus is the one shining through us. And once again, that's the purpose of the church just to shine in a dark world. That's why you guys going to work tomorrow, going to school tomorrow, to shine for Christ in a dark world. That's the reason we're here. Anybody else have anything they want to say before we close up? All right. Well, hey, I would say have a quick word of prayer and we'll let you go. Lord, we are just blessed to get into your word. We're excited to what you have to say in this study. And Lord, we look forward to this, Lord, as we get into these end times things. Lord, help us to keep the soul focus and purpose to be you because that all that matters, Lord, is you. And help us to truly shine in all that we do and all that we say. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Alrighty, uh, real quick, we have a wedding this weekend out here, so we need to split the chairs if there's some people that can help, and we also need to clear off the stage, and we also need to clear in the back there. Pastor Rich will be in the back to help take care of this uh, fellowship hall, but if anybody can help stick around for a little bit, all help would be appreciated. You guys have a good weekend. God bless.